You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 98, by Rudolf Steiner, the listener's notes of 18 lectures, entitled Nature and Spirit Beings, Their Activity in Our Visible World, translated by Christian von Arnhem. This is Lecture 14, given in Stuttgart on the 11th of February, 1908, entitled Influences from Other Worlds on the Earth. Last Saturday, we took a look into remote worlds. Today, too, it will be up to us to do something similar in a somewhat different way. Today, too, we intend to delve a little deeper into spiritual worlds. When I describe such lectures as today's and Saturday's as intended for the advanced, I don't mean so much what is called intellectual understanding. I mean a different understanding that comes to us when we live our way more and more into the spiritual worlds, when we get used to sentiments and feelings, so to speak, that make it possible for us to believe that there really is something in the world immediately around us similar to what is being discussed today. The study of theosophy leads the human being to acquire a feeling for spiritual worlds. Spiritual worlds, spiritual facts, are all around us. We have often emphasized that. As we make our way through the world, we not only pass through the material air, but we are continually passing through spiritual beings and facts. The first thing to which the human being rises when the gift of clairvoyance awakens in them are those spiritual worlds which are somehow connected with what the human being perceives here with the ordinary physical senses what is therefore connected, we might say, with tangible things. Everything that the senses perceive is, after all, related to spiritual worlds. We know that our entire animal world, as it appears externally, is based on a sum of animal group souls. These live on the astral plane, and the person who acquires the gift of clairvoyance of the astral plane encounters them there, as self-contained personalities, just as the human being encounters physical personalities here on the physical plane. They are really self-contained personalities. And if we wish to express ourselves tritely, we can say that we can make the acquaintance of group souls on the astral plane just as we can make the acquaintance of human beings here. However, in certain respects, these group souls differ from the human beings here. They are, strange as it may sound, wiser than human beings. Their deeds are the wise mechanisms of the way the animal is built, but also of everything that lies in the expediency of the animal way of life. The clairvoyant of the Devakan plane learns to know a second kind of living being who is connected to the plants. The plant eyes are on the Devakan plane. And in the higher region of this Devakan plane, which we call arupa, are the group eyes of the minerals. For all these beings, there are what we might call connections on the physical plane. Around us is also the astral and the devakan plane, and around us are all these group eyes. 
So they have, you could say, tangible revelations, manifestations in the physical world. But the person who, as a clairvoyant, gets to know all these worlds, the Devakan plane, the Arupa plane, gets to know not only these beings, but quite other beings, who do not find their physical expression in the physical world in such an obvious way, who also intervene in destiny in a certain way, but not in such a tangible way as is the case with the others. We find such beings of a very strange kind on the astral plane, These beings reveal themselves at first by their effects, that is, only by the fact that we experience their effects. Where, for instance, somnambulism occurs in people who are mediums, in all states of dulled consciousness, and especially quite ordinarily on moonlit nights when the moon is full, we find such beings swarming around us, but we only perceive their effects. We feel strange when we look at these beings clairvoyantly. It is as if they were reaching out their hands from far away, to choose a rough comparison, as if you were in Kanstadt and had hands so long that you could work with them in Stuttgart. Then you would see these hands here in Stuttgart, the effect of the work. But to see the people themselves, you would have to go to Kanstadt. Physical beings of this kind do not exist, of course, but astral ones do. We discover their effects on earth. But if we want to get to know them as self-contained personalities, then we must seek them out in their actual home, and that is the moon. These beings even have a corporeality there, albeit a very subtle one. They would not be perceptible with the microscope. They do not grow very large but they are well known to the clairvoyant. They do not grow taller than a seven-year-old child, and the peculiarity of these beings is that they have a terrible roaring voice, and their roar is not an individual roar, but the expression of the climatic conditions on the moon. Depending on whether the moon is full or new, these moon beings roar or are silent, and their work extends to the earth. As I said, The human being in particular is dependent on these beings and these beings are of great importance for human life. And we become acquainted with these effects when we do a little of what is called occult anatomy. We have often looked at the human being. Today we intend to examine them with regard to their fluids. There are three kinds of fluids that we intend to look at today. First of all, the one called chyle the nutritional fluid. The food goes from the stomach into the intestines and is absorbed by the human organism through the intestinal walls. A second fluid is that which flows in the lymphatic vessels which run through the whole body. This fluid is similar to the white blood cells in the blood. The lymph vessels accompany the blood vessels in a certain way. They are partly intended to absorb particularly the food pulp and to carry it forward until it can enter the blood. In particular, it is the protein substances and fats that are prepared in the lymphatic vessels to be transferred into the blood. Only sugars and sugar-forming substances are absorbed directly into the blood. They do not first pass through the lymphatic vessels. 
so that we have a fluid flowing through the body which is a kind of transitional fluid between the chyle and the blood. A third fluid is the blood itself, which flows in the blood vessels and is constantly renewed by the respiratory process, by the supply of oxygen and so on. Thus in the three fluids we have three stages of the fluid that the human being contains. Chyle is the crudest, as it were. Finer is the lymph, and the finest of the human fluids is the blood. Now, you know that the blood is the outer material expression of the eye, capital, that the eye lives and pulsates, we might say, in the blood. When the blood flows through the body, it is not only matter but also the eye that flows through all parts of the body. But the blood is the only one of the three fluids that is so intimately connected with our own spiritual being. Human beings will most likely become master over their blood. It is true that very few people today are already so far advanced that their eye is master over their blood, but the human being will gain more and more influence over it. The eye has less influence on the lymph. The spiritual also pulsates through the lymph. It is precisely in the lymph that you have a fluid in which the beings that were described to you earlier as moon beings exert their effect. This lymph pulsates up and down in you, and in it pulsates the effect of these moon beings in your body. There you can see what you have enclosed in your body. Another kind of being that also has an influence on the lymph are those that have their actual home on Mars. These Mars beings, who are accessible to clairvoyant observation, are again quite strange creatures. They have a certain kind of language, a gentle speech that lightly and pliantly expresses what these beings want to express. When you meet such Mars beings, they appear to you in such a way that they bear in their countenance the expression of their inner being, their soul. A malignant being has a malignant expression on its face. If the Mars being is good, then it bears goodness as the beauty of its countenance. Its soul being is on the surface of its corporeality. These are beings that the clairvoyant encounters when the latter reaches the moon and Mars. They learn about the actions of these beings from the composition of the lymph and from whether it flows faster or slower. For under every soul experience, the lymph changes in nature. The temperament, the character, is connected with the nature of this lymph. And only the person can recognize what really happens in the human being, in the spiritual substrate of the lymph, who makes acquaintance with these beings of Mars and the Moon. The clairvoyant finds other beings in the same region where the group souls of the plants are, that is, in the Devakan, beings who also express their effect on earth and on which the fate of human beings depends. Their actual home is on Venus, where they are found in the Devakanic region. Their effects and their actions express themselves in a profound effect on the chyle fluid. Whether good or evil beings of Venus gain influence over you depends on what you eat. There are beings who are good, gentle, and mild, who have already developed a religiosity in themselves to a high degree, as it appears here on earth in Christianity, 
But there are also beings of bad character, rapacious entities, which destroy everything. And between these two radical extremes all possible steps are represented on Venus. They express their activity in the human digestive fluid. And now picture how another heavenly body with its beings plays into the human body, into the whole human being. Think of how the human race is distributed on earth. In one region people live on a certain kind of food. In another quite different food grows. Depending on what the human being takes in as nourishment, quite different beings assert themselves in the person. This constitutes the difference in human character. The clairvoyant sees quite different influences arising from such beings in a person who eats something different from another person. And now you understand why, wherever we approach the nature of the human being from the spiritual point of view, importance is attached to what the human being eats. The suggestions of occultism with regard to food have been researched with these beings in mind. What occultism can offer us in relation to practical life depends on such complicated things. There are other beings who also have their peculiar effects on our earth, again, not as tangible as the group souls, but beings who the clairvoyant perceives when they rise to Saturn existence. The effects of these beings are to be found in the higher Devakan world, and they exercise a profound influence on the human being. This brings us to a chapter where we are no longer dealing with the fluids, but with much finer things. When the clairvoyant examines these beings, the latter appear to them quite strange in themselves, for these beings are gifted with a grandiose power of invention. In fact, they are inventors every moment of their lives. But they do not need to think about their inventions. They see and by seeing things they get the idea that it should be different, and they immediately reshape it. Thus they are beings who are actually in constant revolutionary activity. Everything they see, they immediately change in the most inspired way. Sensory perception and intellectual invention are immediate. They don't want to have anything to do with thinking, with logic and the like, but they change everything directly in the sensory impression. There they are reformers, revolutionaries. These beings also express their influence on our earth. They creep into our inner being with our sensory perceptions. With color, with sound, with smell, taste, with the sensation of warmth, with everything that human beings perceive through their senses, the spiritual effects of these Saturn beings creep into humans. You go through the world, and these beings influence in plenty what you experience in your sense impressions. It makes what the ordinary anatomist examines materialistically appear dry and mundane, indeed ridiculous. For effects of such beings penetrate with the flash of lightning that penetrates the eye, EYE. It is not unimportant to know such things for practical life. Actually, a person who does not know this does not know the most important thing about life. The worst, and under certain circumstances the best, because they are the strongest, are the influences of the Saturn beings, insofar as they manifest themselves through the sense of smell. 
With the smells we continually draw their effects into ourselves. There are smells in which downright infernal effects of these beings enter us. When a person knows something like this, they learn to understand what they are doing to their fellow human beings when they force them to breathe in all kinds of horrible perfumes. Through patchouli, for example, they give Saturn spirits of the worst kind access to the human being. And it is one of the worst kinds of black magic to influence our fellow human beings through smells. I can tell you about long periods of history where intrigues were carried out at certain courts by those knowledgeable in these effects through using smells to gain influence and power. For a long time there have been schemers who have ruled more or less consciously by this means. Such magical means have often played an important role in history. An example from recent history might be interesting. A minister at a small European court wrote a memoir about his time as a minister. He knew nothing of all these things, but in his naive way he tells very beautifully how such things played out at the little court in question, where a sensational calamity took place at the time. There was a female personality who understood all the arts of influencing people through smells. And when the minister went to the queen concerned, all kinds of perfumes wafted toward him, and he knew he had to leave because she knew something about smells. Through this experience he realized that something was going on. He knew nothing of occultism. Whoever reads such chapters as an occultist can see profoundly how people are influenced. And now from here consider the thought a little as to how occultism is connected with the true knowledge of reality. People will increasingly have to shine a light into the immediacy of human life from an occult perspective. It would be bad for humanity if a pseudoscience, in which the truth is sought by dissection, were to continue to be practiced for much longer. It is the falsest truth that is found through anatomy. These insights, in particular, will never be of any practical use, and they will bring disaster upon humanity if they are not inactivated by spiritual insights. And we are, after all, in the midst of a flood of materialism. In legislation, everywhere it creeps in and has a tremendous effect. Church and religion are intolerant in a way they never were before. How intolerant is materialistic medicine today? They will not burn their opponents, but they do something else. They want to spare themselves the bad reputation that burning has. They, therefore, see to it that a person cannot do what they were burnt for in the past. Today, the opponents do not even get to the point where they can sin. Burning was certainly something bad, but previously they could at least do what they were burned for afterward. People do not realize this because they don't have such extended thoughts that they draw the threads from one thing to the other. But it is important for people to acquire healthy thinking again through spiritual knowledge. Take, for example, I have told you that fats and proteins pass through the lymphatic vessels and sugar goes directly into the blood. The eye, capital, as it comes to expression in our time, is the vehicle of the pure power of combination, of egoism, because in our European culture, it is in the first instance only concerned with utility.
Anyone who can observe life will be able to see from this the great role that sugar plays in the life of the human being. It is precisely where egoism is most prevalent, especially in its sophisticated forms, where it appears as scientific criticism, where it appears purely intellectually, that you will see diabetes in the occult context. But here you must not think that the individual who is afflicted by diabetes should be regarded from this point of view. The individual does not live in isolation. And you must also come to the realization that you cannot help the individual so easily. Think of a person who lives in a swamp. They can only become healthy when they leave the swamp. You have to take into account that the person lives in their environment. And therefore it is above all a question of understanding that we must make ourselves selfless, because theosophy is there for everyone. It is very important to understand this thoroughly. Only when people decide to devote their striving increasingly to the whole of humanity, only then will there be an atmosphere in which the individual will be liberated. If the individual innocently becomes diabetic, that is no indication of the general finding which is correctly stated in Theosophy. Diabetes is connected with the prevalence of egoism. You can let your gaze wander over two quite different regions of Europe. Look to Russia, to the peasants, where the ego feeling is only in its infancy, and to England, where the strong ego feeling prevails. This is not meant to be a criticism, only a statement of fact. And now, look at the sugar consumption. How much more sugar is consumed in England than in Russia? Now, one or the other may say, well, what should we do? Must we, because it is right, advise a person to eat little sugar so that they will become selfless? The truth is not that convenient. People prefer fixed rules that fit all circumstances, a kind of set policy. There are people who, because of their mental and spiritual constitution, tend to lose themselves easily in a devout form of devotion. That is a good thing. It helps them to the highest joy of knowledge. But it must have an opposite pole. Such people must eat a lot of sugar. In order for them to stand firm on earth, they must be given a lot of sugar. Others, on the other hand, are intent everywhere to assert themselves. They are the opposite of a devotional nature. They may be advised restraint in their sugar intake. Thus we see that we must acquire the ability to take an all-round view out of theosophy, not to be quick to judge out of abstraction. Thus you have again become acquainted with other kinds of beings in today's remarks that are intimately connected with our life. If you have a certain reserve with regard to all the worlds of which you have heard here, if you perhaps think it would be better not to know anything about all these things, then remember that this is the same as the ostrich hiding its head in the sand, for these things exist, after all. And you can never free yourself by closing your eyes, but only by getting to know things. If you arrange your life in such a way that you increasingly become ruler over your bodies from the eye, then you drive all these beings out of your life. Knowledge and truth are the means to become free. And it is true what is written in a religious record, quote, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Close quote. The end of lecture fourteen.